The Paths to Parenthood podcast is designed to support those needing to use a donor to build their family. I'm Becky, also known as Defining Mum, and I'm also the founder of Paths to Parenthood. I'm the mum to three amazing girls, all thanks to egg donation. And I'm Hayley King, the founder of All Things Donor Conception. I'm both a donor-conceived person and, in a twist of fate, the parent of donor-conceived children with my lovely wife. Our aim is to open up conversations about this incredible route to parenthood, focusing on some of the nuances and complexities that it can bring. Our hope is to provide different perspectives, information, reflection and validation as we openly discuss different topics, share stories and ask you for your input. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this episode of the Paths to Parent Hub podcast and this is quite an impromptu episode where we hadn't planned to record um, but actually I think it's a really important episode and and one that feels really natural to do and Hayley and I were just communicating on WhatsApp through our many, many voice notes, as we we do quite often yesterday, about this particular topic we're going to talk about. And I remember thinking to myself, this is a this is a podcast discussion in itself. There's so much nuance to it. There's no, it's not black and white. And just to set the scene to begin with, this was all on the back of a post that I put out this week, which was all about acceptance as a donor-conceived parent. So I talked about acceptance being a key part of becoming a parent through donor conception and and shared some of the things that I've had to accept and acknowledge along the way. Um, So one of those things that has caused a little bit more debate is around the title parent. And my words were, I've had to accept that there's another person who holds a parent title. Whilst they aren't parenting in the verb and the doing sense of the word, scientifically and genetically, they are termed as parent. This can be true, but I am their mum. And there's so many different responses to this. And I think a lot of people saying, yes, completely understand. But also kind of to give the flip side is the other kind of response I had was around the donor not being a parent in any way, in any kind Um and is being more of a progenitor. And we've just been trying to work out how we actually say that word. I hope I've I've done it right. Um, but yeah, I think there's just so much behind all of this. There's so many layers to it. There's feelings that I feel about it. Um, and I know for you, Hayley, as a donor conceived person and a recipient parent, you've got a really interesting and insightful view on this as well. Yeah, thanks, Becky. Yeah, it is always a topic. I think I've been in this community now for several years, and it's probably the most contentious topic, I think, to do with terminology, whether it's people referring to the donor as a genetic parent, I think, which is what Becky was mentioning there as an acknowledgement in the post she did recently, or um, biological father or genetic father or whatever the term may be. And also, I've noticed it a lot more recently in the media. So in the UK, there's been lots of talk recently about potential law changes here to donor anonymity. And that's a whole other podcast in itself. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But actually, within that media article, the reporter referred to donor conceived adults being able to have identifying information of their genetic parent. Um, And I shared that article. And that out of all of the topics was one of the things that actually did spark debate in a post that I did. So yeah, I think I would agree. It's a really um, interesting topic. And for me as a donor conceived person, I've got my own views um, of how I refer to Jonathan, who for those of you don't know, is my parents' sperm donor. So I 
sometimes have referred to him as the donor or my biological father or my genetic father. Um, and I have my own feelings of how that language has evolved for me personally, but also how my wife and I are handling the topic of terminology with our own donor conceived children who are conceived through sperm donation. So yeah, it's, um, it's a huge topic and I, I hope we're able to cover as much as we can. Um, like I say, we could probably do multiple episodes, can we Becky on this one? Yeah. And I think we both put question boxes in our stories, haven't we, on Instagram, just saying, look, share with us your thoughts and openly. And we've both been inundated. I think you said whilst we were just waiting to come on this call, there were still um, comments coming through. So we'll try and pick up on some of those because we don't want to just share our viewpoints. We want to share yours as well. We want to discuss. And and I think there's a lot of commonality across um, a lot of them as well. But I think maybe we should start with how we talk to our children at the moment, because I think some, some people may have taken from my post that I refer to our donor as genetic parent to our girls um, who are age seven and five. And that isn't the case. That's not something I'm doing. It's not something I'm intending to do in the near future. And that's because I don't want to confuse them. And, and actually, they see parent as me and as Matt, and we are the ones parenting. So I think there is that clear distinction between parent and parenting. It's that the different, the noun versus the verb. But I still think it's my role as they evolve and they understand more about what it means to be donor conceived, that they understand that 50% of their DNA comes from what is termed within science as a genetic parent. And, And that's where the um, secret code inside of you book, I think is really, really helpful to almost just introduce this idea. Um, and I have kind of spoken to to Mila in particular about the, the fact that half of her genes come from daddy and half come from our donor. Um, but then I've tried to compare that with, so your friend um, at school who comes from her mommy's egg and her daddy's sperm 50% of her DNA comes from her mummy and 50% from her daddy. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of show that that is the relationship in some cases, but for them, it is different. So mummy is also involved. There's three of us. And I think consciously telling myself that the fact that there's three doesn't take anything away from me, I think is is really important because that is true. And I need to accept that there was a third person involved in their creation. They wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be a mum without that person. And I think we need to hold and honour that space for that person. Um, But somebody actually sent me a message privately that really resonated with me and I think will resonate with a lot of other people um, saying, isn't it interesting how terminology can be so hurtful? Seeing the word parent instantly triggered me. And a few years ago, it would me as well. And still triggers me in some ways if somebody refers to it as the real parent or they talk about it in that sense. Particularly the word mother as well, I think, being really honest. That is something I see myself as. And, and to hear somebody else describe the um, the donor as the mum in some way is is really difficult. But this person said, The educated and rational woman inside me knows that the donor is, indeed, the genetic parent. But the woman and mother in me says, ouch, I'm their parent, not her. And it is that real wrangle between the logical, rational part of you, and that's what I was trying to pull through in the post, is 
I have had to accept that this is the case and they haven't got 50% of my genetics, it's 50% of, of hers. Um, so yeah, I think there's a bit of a, it, both can be true, you can feel this way, but you can also accept this at the same time. And I think I said in my original post that acceptance doesn't mean being 100% okay with it all of the time you can still have those moments where you think oh no I wish this wasn't the case or I'm I'm not I'm not completely comfortable with this but it's accepting the reality and I think if the girls say in the future decide to do a DNA test or we do that together I, we were talking yesterday Hayley the the words used on a DNA test are a mother and father that's not, right yeah not even yeah. parent no it's actually so, quite clear to completely ignore that terminology and not to share that with them in some way, shape or form, whether it's when talking about DNA, you're almost setting them up for almost a bit of a shock in a way, even though you've been open about the fact that they're donor conceived. And it's about that understanding of the depth and and what it means, I think, is is what's important for me in as they grow and and as they understand more. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And also going back to even just like as a donor conceived person, as an adult testing myself, on the commercial sites and it, it is quite shocking to see even though I'm an adult a grown woman when I did it know about science studied science you know that kind of thing to see under Jonathan's profile on ancestry the word father was upsetting to me in some ways because mm. my even though which is completely conflicted and probably sounds a bit strange because I refer to him as my biological father or genetic father but just to have the word father there was quite like ow because mm. my dad is the one that's done the fathering and I felt quite sad in a way that that person wasn't my dad in that photograph on the ancestry report but that's just the way things are and I think sometimes I think language can be um, quite freeing for people but can also be quite difficult and I think that's maybe what you were touching on in the person that contacted you is that yeah that the kind of um, it can mean lots of different things to lots of different people in lots of different contexts and that's where we struggle And I say, going back to our children now, I think we're, like I say, my wife and I, we've had extensive conversations and we we don't refer to the donor in our house um, as our children's genetic father or biological father or any of those terms um, consistently. We tend to use the term the donor um, or the man that helped mammy and mama to make you actually. That's probably what we say more. Yeah. because of the, as we've spoken before on talks we've done, haven't we, Becky, on the hub, in terms of things like scaffolding language. So actually our children are kind of transitioning now from that early stage of kind of a level of understanding of who the donor is and who the donor is within our family setup. So the man that helped Mammy and Mama to make you actually makes probably more sense in some respects, I think, um, than all these other terms that you could possibly come up with. But actually now our children are moving into, they're nearly, you know, going into being nearly seven now. Again, similar to yourself with Mila, Becky, you started to explain what DNA is and how that plays into our children's conception stories. And there's talks of genetics and all that kind of stuff. So our kids are now sort of transitioning into that level of understanding. And I think that's where it is quite helpful to bring in different terms, because like you say, whether it's 20 years down the line and they do a DNA test or it's a medical form that they have to fill in Mm -hmm. um, where it will say mother's genetic or mother's um you know family history or father's family history and actually making our kids aware that they're going to come across these terms whether they're right or wrong or they they make them feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. actually acknowledging that as a family we're going to come across these terms and um not shying away from those discussions I think as well which can be 
also problematic if you've got someone that's like, nope, when you know, never referring to them as a um, genetic parent or anything like that. And then that can cause problems in itself as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like what we what we talked about in the last episode about it's the context that terminology is used as well and, and not shutting down um, if they're wanting to explore it in that way. And I think as hard as it can be, I don't want the girls to feel like they can't use the language that they want to use. Um, and it's not saying that I think they will use that. I think they'll probably follow the same kind of path in terms of language that, that we use, but it's being open to different terminology um, and actually, I, I held a webinar on Paths to Parenthood last night um, with Julianne Boutaleb, who's the perinatal psychologist from Parenthood in Mind. And we had a really, really good discussion about grief and do we ever really move on? And one of the things Julianne was talking about is how sometimes the projections of our grief can project onto our children and we can assume that they will kind of feel the same way that we feel about things when actually it's probably not the case. So this, there's a lot of complexity to this. And I would say that if you are struggling with trying to get your head around this, one, it doesn't happen overnight. And you'll have some days where you feel okay with it. You'll have some days where you feel less. You might feel more triggered by a certain event. Um, but two, just go go and find that space where you can find others who get it, who understand, like Paths to Parent Hub. And you can listen to professionals talking about this and realizing that there are reasons why you feel the way you feel, very legitimate reasons and valid reasons because of what you've been through to get there. And I think I shared a post a while back. Um, I might try and share it in my stories. It was about how um, it's not easy to share the term parent when that's all you've ever wanted to be, when you, you are, you've done everything in your power to become a parent. But the compromise in a way is that you, you have to share the terminology. You don't share the job. You are the parent. You are doing all the parenting. But there's, there is that kind of feeling of, oh, I've been through all of this and I've finally got them. And why do I have to still think about this? But it's there and it's it's reality. It's it's part of it. Um, but it's that conscious telling to yourself, and, and this is what I do, that it doesn't take anything away from my relationship with them. It's not an either or. It's an and. It's that person is an addition. Um, and I think you mentioned this in terms of thinking about it like um, – like a pie it's not like you take one away <laughs> half goes to that side yeah. half goes that side it's an addition you don't have to to break it down in that way yeah and it's also just about giving like I say our kids the freedom to make decisions about language that actually it's not just any old language it's language that defines your identity and I think that's the key yeah. I think a lot of the conversation you see in social media um you see a lot especially a lot of parents um saying what they think and what they feel and how it makes them, how they interpret it, which I understand as a parent, I have those feelings too. But I think what we have to try and do is separate what we feel and think and how our children may feel and think. And that may change over time too. Um, So it may well be that our children use the term donor and are happy with that. And I know lots of donor conceived people that are very adamant that the donor, um, that is the term that they use to describe the person that helped to create them. I know other people that started off using donor and now use biological mother or um, any other term you could think of. Um, And even myself, I think I've had a transition period where when I first discovered 
my conception story as a late discovery donor conceived person in my early 30s, so about 10 years ago now, um, I started off referring to Jonathan as the donor and I was quite happy with that. I then yeah. DNA tested, met him, he became a person. And I also want to sort of suggest that it's, it's, and explain that I don't go around every five seconds calling Jonathan my biological father this, my biological father that, because it, it's not like that in reality. It's really, really not. Um, it's only in these situations that I actually use it. Day to day, I just use his name. But it is helpful to me, I think, now I've moved through those periods of language that I feel comfortable with. Um, if I do meet someone new or a, a new mum friend and we're talking about maybe the work that I'm doing or whatever, I will will say biological or genetic father just because it, it is actually easier for me because it's quite clear language and people understand straight away what that is. My hope yeah. is, I think, for our children is that as language evolves and the word donor becomes more accepting within society. Bear in mind, I was raised in a very, very traditional um, heterosexual mum-dad family you know, very middle-class conservative views and all that kind of thing. So I've also, I'm aware of my own biases, maybe, you know, if I have to step away from yeah. how I was raised and how maybe that's why I prefer the term biological father. Um, but my hope is, like I say, is our families diversify and different language becomes normal and usualized and all the rest of it, that then, yeah, maybe our children may adopt donor, they may adopt something completely different, I don't know. But I think yeah. it's just being aware of that and being open to it and not just kind of just yeah like this I see it so many times this point blank refusal of mostly parents to even accept any other term other than like I said donor or the other word that I can't say I can't even say it I mean that says a lot didn't it? I can't even I, it's so unusual that word to me yeah it yeah. feels so alien as language I would never yeah. choose that but yeah my kids might and again if they want to say that then yeah I'm yeah. going to support them as their mum you know so, and I think just listening to you talk there as a donor conceived person, it's reassuring. You, I think the the deepest darkest fear is that one day, say in my situation, they they'll find out who our donor is and they will call her mum, a mother. Everything when you're talking about Jonathan, you're talking about him using his actual name, <laughs> which is yeah. probably the most likely option. Um, but even when you say the word father, you you have biological before it. You you add that descriptor word in to show that it's not father it's not dad it's biological father and so I think it's not I think obviously having the word father in there might be quite scary for some people but you've got the biological you've got the descriptor term and I think that's the important bit as well when we're talking about genetic parent and I suppose in that story I shared I didn't necessarily put genetic parent I put that parent is a term yeah but if I was using that with the girls I'd never use that term as an isolated term. I would use genetic parent if I was to kind of go into that level of depth of discussion. But it isn't something that I feel is going to come up in any time in the near future. But there will be some kind of work from me in terms of getting them to understand what DNA means. And then yeah. that might lead to that at yeah. some point in time. So I did have somebody contact me. Yeah, she sent me a message and she was a, a um, biology professor and um, said it's going to come up if they do biology and they get more in depth into certain kind of mm -hmm. genes, genetics. And and I think they're considering um, donor conception at the moment, she said, and it really sitting through a, a biology lesson that one of her colleagues was delivering was making her feel really uncomfortable because she was seeing it through the eyes of donor conception and, and how that might look. And there's, there's all these different scenarios as well as our children grow up. We've got to 
prepare them for in the sense that there will be talk about biology and genetics and DNA in school in some way, shape or form. I don't want that to be the moment where the penny drops and they go, ah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's yeah different contexts that we need to think about. And it is a process, I think, and we've got to remember that. And I, I think especially like I even look at myself seven years ago before, you know, seven, eight years ago when I wasn't a parent, some of these conversations um, would have really frightened me and I would have been really um, felt threatened by any, and especially being in an LGBTQ family, the term father, um, well, we haven't got a dad. We haven't got a father role in our family. You know, we are, my wife and I are a gay couple who've had to, you know, use a sperm donor. And it is a lot to think that actually, yeah, our children do have a genetic father out there um, who has contributed to our children's creation. Um, And it is a lot to get your head around and acknowledge. Um, Mm. But I don't think by acknowledging that we're undermining our family structure in any way. I I don't feel like, and I talk about it a lot, about being open about talking about um, the donor in our family and, you know, characteristics that we we know about him and talking about donor siblings and all these kinds of discussions because um I think some people feel threatened that it's going to somehow impact on their their little family that they've created all these you know these the the others that are involved potentially further down the line or, or whenever but um it doesn't have to be these conversations don't have to be and I think it's just being open to the conversations and showing our kids that yeah, we, you know, we're we're okay about using different types of language and talking about these different topics. So they know that if they want to come to us and they're thinking about something or they're trying to process the information, like you say, they may have had yeah. a, a science les- lesson in class and they want to ask us about, um, well, how, how does um, the term, you know, genetic, how do genetics fit into our family and all this kind of stuff? We want our kids to come and ask us these questions and not feel like, oh, I can't talk to mum about that because it, it's really last time I tried it was really upset into her and we had this big chat about we just refer to the donor as the donor and that's it <laughs> you know and I don't yeah. want that I don't think in my family I want and I've I kind of experienced that a little bit with sadly with my mum and dad um in, in the reluctance and the in the lack of openness and I kind of want to go the other way with my kids and make sure that yeah even if some of the topics are difficult to t- talk about or some of the subjects are a little bit um challenging I I still want to be able to have them and feel like they can come to us and and, and talk about these things so yeah but it's not like you're sitting down with your children at bedtime and saying let's read a book about your genetic parents and yeah and I think is it worth us let's just read some of the comments that we was gonna say I'm just gonna be nodding along and um and and I think we're not like saying that we're right and others are wrong or anything we're just trying to have a bit of an open discussion about why we feel the way we feel and and kind of acknowledging some of the complexity of the feelings that people have. Um, so just to start with mine, um, someone has said, I think the term parent is, like you say, very scientifically correct. Parenting is something very different. So it's separating, again, that noun and the verb. Um, someone else said, my son's egg donor is 100% his genetic parent. It's a lot easier for me to say your egg donor than it is for me to say your genetic parent. And I 100% agree with that. The parent is a verb and I'm doing all of that work as his mama. He only knows me for now, even though he knows his story. And that's exactly how I'm approaching that. Um, And then someone else has said, I'd I'd be like the person who commented on your post. I wouldn't call the donor a parent, but I understand what you said. And and I think that is the case that I don't call them a parent, but it's about 
being open to that in the future and sharing what this means I think just to yeah. kind of probably say what I've already said um someone else has said I, I I wish we could influence the scientific genetic industry to use another term like progenitor and I think it's one of those where its terminology evolves over time and I think what mm-hmm. you said Haley, I think you said this in a, a voice note to me yesterday is actually sort of Eight, even 10 years ago the word donor was so rarely used people were like well donor what's that so then you almost have to go to the term genetic parent or biological father to to explain what that means but the way in which kind of donor conception is increasing awareness is increasing it might be that that is a more acceptable term in society where nobody has to then describe it with those terms in the future that might become a kind of an understood term within society so you don't have to go into that level of depth but I think at the moment we're still in that position where some people might be like what do you mean by donor yeah and I want the girls to be able to have a range of terminology they can use if they need to um in that sense as well so yeah that was my the main sort of themes that were coming through I did have quite a few messages I know yeah well I only put on a comment box this morning so just to give some um context of people listening back to this so I, I put it on and it was only about 40 minutes till I've come on air with Becky and I've already had I think over 20 responses um, so it just shows how obviously um, passionately people feel about this so I've had a range of people comment I've actually uh, so similar to what you sort of said earlier Becky I don't mind the term parent as long as it doesn't follow the word real and again that's kind of like the context yeah. is key isn't it and um, again I, I can totally relate to that um, someone else has put here, um, I think it's up to the donor conceived person as to how they refer to the donor in the long run and la- the language may change. Um, language is a choice, a title, a label by the donor conceived person. And it's something I always, so this is sub- from a professional, I'm assuming, I always counsel parents about that in the sessions that I conduct. So that's kind of, yeah, again, kind of allowing, uh, I suppose, the donor conceived person mm. to be a bit freer. And this is actually from someone who's um, a known egg donor which is really, really helpful, actually, because donors don't also yeah. always get included in these conversations. So I'm really pleased that this person's reached out. Um, I wouldn't consider or think of myself as a parent, and they've put that in um, in commas, um, but I can understand why some might. So I suppose there's um, an acknowledgement there from from the donor. And again, we had loads of something. The whole thing is just so fraught. <laughs> and I agree. I, I do. I said, um, yeah. this person's put, my daughter will choose her own words in time and I will go with it. So I'm assuming that's obviously a parent there. Um, and then there are some people saying, that obviously, it's a very triggering word. Um, people prefer other words. Um, the word progenitor again from genitor I, I need to practice this it I, right when you say I, it, this it? is what I'm trying to say I just can't and I you know if people want to use it absolutely good luck to them but I struggle to say it so that's that's kind of me but yeah they're just sort of saying that they would rather other words and I actually had someone just a final point into again we could go on all all, all day I think with yeah. the comments that we had and the different themes but someone actually put the word um the, the phrase about sperm donor and egg donation into chat GPT because we're all talking about AI these days and so these yeah. are the words that have come up so genetic source uh, biological originator genetic contributor um I've actually heard of uh, off a side point as well um gamete seller and I, I don't want to say that lightly because a lot of donor conceived people actually feel that the word donor um isn't um mm-hmm. applicable because you know obviously some donors are obviously paid 
considerable amounts of money. So that, that's another word I probably bring into the mix. Um, and then, yeah, we've obviously got the, the, the most common one there, which is donor. So, yeah, so you've got the AI contribution there, which is also quite mm. interesting. Um, and yeah, so like I say, there, there's just so many, so many different terms, I think. And, and yeah, you know, there's a spectrum, I think, of what um, both donor conceived people feel they like to use and obviously um, parents too. Yeah, and that has actually reminded me of a, a term that I use probably without even realising it. And I think it's instead of using the term genetic parent. So I often say when I'm in interviews or whether I'm typing about this, I don't think I've said it to the girls, but um, if they want to know more about, and rather than saying their genetic parent or a donor, I sometimes say about their genetic origins. Yes, and I've used yeah. that. And maybe that's another replacement term that I've kind of put in there because I'm more comfortable with that. And if I feel it describes what I'm trying to say. It doesn't describe a person though. But but when I'm talking about that, to use the term genetic origins, I think maybe I feel more more safe with that. Yeah. And I um, think that's, and that's I think, yeah, that's fine to do that, isn't it? You're yeah. not you're not um I think what it is sometimes the frustration comes for me personally is where, like I say, I just see a, a point blank refusal to even acknowledge that um that that, that there is this third or fourth person in some instances with yeah. embryo donation and double donation that um, that th- th- these entities exist it's just almost like yeah. an erasure, erasure of that and that's where I think yeah. the problem lies more so really than the actual language that's being used it's the all the stuff that can go mm. with that sometimes um, but we were talking as well weren't we before we come here um, about some studies actually because obviously we're talking as yes as just two parents and as me as a myself as a donor conceived person we've also had some input from the community but actually there's some research studies that have been done into terminology and we'll put it in the show notes actually because there's um a great study done by um wendy kramar who runs the donor sibling registry um and back in 2018 and 19 she did uh, with other researchers um quite a big study interviewing over 2,000 donor conceived adults um, they covered so many different topics um, in this study, but one of the things that's quite relevant and pertinent to this discussion is terminology. And they've, I'm assuming based on the percentages, because I'm not a mathematician, but they don't add up to 100%, but people could respond to yeah. more than one, which says a lot in itself, actually, of the terms that they use yeah. to describe the donor. So just to remind you, this is donor-conceived adults from different types of families, and they've separated this study out um, into family type and to donor type. And the results are really interesting. So just very quickly, um, sperm donor offspring, they've titled it from LGBTQ um, families, 53% of those donor-conceived individuals um, referred to the person as the donor, uh, 30% as the sperm donor, 14% as donor dad, 8% as father, and 18% is biological father 2% is genetic father and 10% other so like you say even there you've got quite a spread and we've mm. got another section and then sperm donor offspring from heterosexual relationships 41% refer to them as the donor 39% is the sperm donor 12% is donor dad 7% is father 41% biological father which I think we were both quite shocked with that yeah um 6% genetic father and 8% other so that's just sperm donor conceived um, individuals yeah. um, and it just shows a huge spread and they go into egg donation um, and I'm not going to read it all out to you and bore you all but yeah. um, if you want to go into that we'll put this study because it's freely accessible um, yeah. on the internet and people can go and have a look and what I think it just shows is the spectrum and also that don't mm-hmm. conceive people maybe use more than one term which is also quite yes. helpful so 
I think like you said that sometimes you will refer to as your donor but then you might explain more and call him your genetic father or biological father yes and so yeah it doesn't mean that it's exclusive whichever term is used it might be that they use multiple terms um but no that is really interesting and I did actually have um a comment from someone who'd said I'd be really interested to know what what other terms people use with their kids if not donor um and I think it, it is varied, but I think probably the most common that parents use with younger children is donor. Mm. I, from what I've seen, what I've seen in books, what I've seen kind of in terms of other people having conversations, it tends to be donor. But I think the question is about how do we evolve that term Yeah. Um, moving forward? Because ultimately, we can't deny the science. We can't deny the genetics. No. And if we do that... Is that coming from our own fears and insecurities and grief that maybe we are still carrying? And we, like we said in the webinar last night, Julianne and I, we 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 move on, but we don't ever move fully away from grief. And um, I remember Sean, who is knackered knackers on Instagram, he always describes it really well as like a the grief is like a um, like a pilot light that's always on, it's always there, and occasionally it will flare up. But then it will go back down and it just sits in the background and it doesn't mm. come out on a daily basis or anything like that. I just think that's a really nice way of thinking about it because that I think that grief is still with us. And, and we are so sensitive to that terminology because it relates to our relationship with our children or we feel that it does. But actually, it doesn't change anything in terms of how they see me or how I feel about them. It's just that acknowledgement, I think. Um and like I said, it doesn't mean you're always okay with it. Yeah. But acknowledging it is kind of a big step, I think. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think we've covered pretty much everything we wanted to talk about. Have we missed anything, Hayley? Um, to be honest, it was more, Um. I think, just go, if we wanted to go back slightly on how, because I think a big issue I see with a lot of people coming to me through social media or um, through email and things is asking about how, not just terminology, but how we maybe talk to our children and how that can develop over time mm-hmm. when I would through our children's understanding. And I think like you say, it is a process and we covered a great series of webinars, didn't we on Path to Parent Hub with Dr. Avi Perlman, who actually talks about the different mm-hmm. stages of development with our kids and how much our children do understand at different ages. And I do think sometimes we actually underestimate our kids and what they can understand. But I think if anyone is a bit, um, would like some more information about what our kids can understand the developmental yeah. milestones, if you like. And we talk about all of this thing, all of these things like terminology, what do our kids understand at certain ages? Yeah. What are the conversations that might be helpful at different age categories? And we, we're we both now moving, aren't we, into the kind of almost like the preteen section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is quite worrying because the, the, the language <laughs> and the conversations like the, like the storybooks are very helpful, aren't they, in the early days? But actually, our, I don't know about you, Becky, but our kids are kind of moving on a little bit more. And the, the, yeah. the actual conversations, they're, they are bringing in to a family. They're bringing in those conversations now to us to have as opposed to us initiating them. So like I say, I think if you are interested in how maybe terminology can fit into the different ages of development, def- definitely check out those webinars on on the yeah. hub because I, I found them extremely helpful um, and quite yeah. reassuring as well. Um, <laughs> quite yeah. reassuring. I learned- what to expect. <laughs> I learned so much from listening to Dr. Avi and particularly I think if you're worried about the teenage years as well which I know a lot of people are um there was a, a session where we focused purely on the teenage years and and in the context of donor conception and and it's trying to kind of put into perspective as well what 
what teenagers have got going on anyway during the teenage years. Yes. Nothing to do with donor conception, no, we might no. then worry. So I think that from that reassurance, it's almost just helps you gain that bit of perspective as well, as actually a lot of parents are dealing with this regardless of their conception. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend that. And that's available to watch on demand on Paths to Parenthood for all members, um, as are all of the different webinars we've done. We've done chats with people about kind of talking to your child and adapting as they grow with with parents. Um, there's so many conversations with donor conceived individuals where mm. the terminology yeah. question comes up pretty much every time. Like what and, it's and, always and different. answers are different. <laughs> it is different. Yeah. 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 And it that's is. what I'd say. It gives you more of a rounded perspective, I think, because like you say, we we notice it, don't we, being involved yeah. on, on social media online. And it can take place in a bit of a vacuum and it can it can feel like yeah, you're, mm. you're kind of getting it from all angles. But actually in reality, yeah, donor conception can be a very big part of our family lives but there's other times where it really just doesn't feature at all what you know and it, it, you're just getting on with normal family life and it might just be a very very small percentage of something that you might happen to talk about you know once a month or something yeah. like that and it comes up so I think it's, it's really helpful to hear um lots of different perspectives isn't it um and not just maybe look, look to social media all the time so yes I agree I agree um and I think just to just to end, I think we've not done a podcast. So we're a bit sporadic with the podcast, aren't we? A bit. We're so busy. And I'm sorry to anyone who's kind of waiting for the next one to drop because life has just been so busy that we've not had time to really have a proper schedule. But I think it's quite nice to be able to respond to a conversation on social media, which is what we intended to do with this anyway. Um, but we haven't spoken about the event last month. So that was a month ago, I think. Yeah, yes. a month ago now. Um and we had 80 people in a room in Leeds, all touched by donor conception. And we we shared different stories. We held workshops. We laughed. We cried. It was just such an amazing day again of connection. And I think that was what was really important. But yeah, d- did you feel the same, Hayley? Yeah, I, I always feel so much more. Um, I, I always feel like I get so much more from in-person events too. I think obviously we live in a very virtual world these days, um, understandably. And whilst that's opened up lots of doors, I think to, to communicate with people, it is always something quite special about meeting up in person. And um, yeah, the, the, the Paths to Parent Hub event in Leeds was an amazing opportunity to actually meet some people from online in real life. And um, we had specific panels, didn't we? So we had a recipient parent panel from literally yeah. every different family combination you could think of, which I think was super helpful. Um, but also um, the donor conceived person panel. And again, we had different family setups, um, those that had known you know from from growing up that they were donor conceived to all the way through to the, the older population of me who found out very late in life and maybe looking at the similarities and the differences and um yeah I think that the feedback we've had has been really great but even just for myself attending um it was yeah. just such a fabulous fabulous day and I hope I hope well we, we hope there's going to be more don't we <laughs> at some point yes yeah I think the hope is that we can do another one probably mid to kind of probably autumn time next year it takes a lot to organize something like that um but yeah it was just amazing I think there's there's so much you can get from connecting with other people and and actually one of one of the best moments I found was um over lunch just looking around the room where people were sat and they were chatting with each other and the conversation was flowing you could just see the connections being made and I think that was what was really lovely to see um so yeah so the event that's happened and then we're still planning for next year for Paths to Parenthood and um, we've got lots more to share next year and um, we're doing a lot of work actually on the the 
the existing content that we've already got, which I think sometimes is so much there. We're trying to categorize that a bit more to make it mm. easier to to work your way through. So there's all of that available. And next month, Haley and I, if you've enjoyed this chat, we're doing a Q&A, which is going to be an open forum um, on Paths to Parent Hub just open to members where we can come we'll chat about anything that you want to hear about and we can have that that open two-way conversation so that's happening next month um but yeah i hope you've enjoyed this episode if you can please take a moment just to rate and review um it really really helps other people find the podcast and yeah please do share it and because we're so useless at sharing as well it took me about two three weeks to share the last one um, when it came out so and if you subscribe you'll be the first to get it when it, it hits um, the podcast yeah. platform so yeah I think that's everything anything yeah. you want to add Hayley just great to hear from the community too I mean this um mm. this morning, it's been great to hear your thoughts and I think that really helps shape the conversation too um, and it's really important to get people's like I say I'm a huge fan of um listening to as many people as I can to get different perspectives and it's always great to get feedback um, if you found a certain piece of content helpful or not helpful that's just as important I think or if you you don't agree please never never feel like you can't reach out um, I, I, I know yeah. Becky feels the same we're, we're both quite approachable people and um, if there's something that you would like us to talk about please get in touch or um, and yeah we like I say we just like having these conversations don't we and hopefully they're helpful to other people yeah it's so much easier to talk rather than try and write something down on a static post. So, yeah, yeah hopefully we've been able to give a bit more nuance and, and background to, to everything that we've been talking about on social media. So thank you. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll try and get this out as soon as we yeah. can, um, hopefully later on this week. Yeah. Famous take, last word. Yeah, exactly. Take care, take, everyone. Take care. Bye bye.